I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. It's Meg here as always and before we dive into today's episode with a very close friend of mine, I first just want to say thank you for tuning in to last week's episode. I know it was definitely a different type of episode I recorded all about my wedding dress shopping experience. If you have not listened to it yet, I was kind of on the fence about recording an episode like this. It was super relevant to me last week. I had just gotten home from a wedding dress shopping trip and I was just really excited about it and I was getting a lot of questions about my shopping experience and my my wedding dress and things like that and so I just thought should I record a podcast about it anyways as you know if you did tune in last week I did publish a whole episode about my wedding dress shopping experience and honestly It was so well received, so I just want to say thank you for tuning in to more of like a lifestyle kind of podcast episode. I just really appreciate all of you being here for like all of the topics. You know, we can talk about everything from how to get your period back, how to start eating more food and recover from an eating disorder. And then also things like, I went wedding dress shopping and here is what my experience was like. So this week is not like that. I'm not talking about wedding dress shopping anymore. We are moving on to another topic. We have a special guest here with me this week. Her name is Cayman Ferguson. She's a very close friend of mine. I love her dearly. She is also Canadian, so we know how I feel about my fellow Canadians. They just all live in a really special place in my heart, and they're all like my very best friends. So Anyways, we love Cayman and she has also recovered from eating disorders and she talks a lot about mental illness, mental health, eating disorder awareness over on her Instagram page, but she also recently co-authored a book and it is called She is Full of Fired. And I'm so excited to read this book. It is on its way. I have not read it yet as I share in the podcast episode today, but as soon as it arrives in my mailbox, I will be reading this book and I am just so excited. Cayman talks a little bit about authoring and writing this chapter that she did for this book and just what this book is all about. But I'm really excited for you to specifically tune into this episode today to hear more about Cayman's experience with an eating disorder and what recovery looked like for her. And now she's also a mom of two little humans and She is moving through motherhood as someone who has recovered from an eating disorder. So that kind of gives her a different perspective than if she hadn't experienced something like an eating disorder. So we talk about that in this show as well. And I just, I really love this episode and I know you are going to love it too. And don't forget that next week is the first Wednesday of a brand new month. Cannot believe that it is going to be September. Crazy. But we know what that means. Next week is a mental health check-in month. So I'll be talking all about my mental health throughout July. 
I mean, August, because we're ending August right now. So I'll give you an August recap and you'll get a solo episode from me. So stay tuned for that next week. But for now, enjoy this episode with Cayman Ferguson. And if you're loving what you're hearing, take a screenshot, share it with your friends over on social media, and you can tag us and our handles can all be found in the show notes. Hey, Cayman, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to finally have you on. I I honestly, like, whenever I'm thinking of podcast guests and stuff like that, I really need to get better at this because it's always kind of like I write a sticky note in my brain, so to speak, and just kind of like slap it up there. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to reach out to this person. And then time passes and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, I'm just so happy you're finally here with me. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Of course. So whenever I have a guest here on the show with me, I kind of like sharing a little bit about how we connected and also having you introduce yourself. So if you do want to say hello to everyone and let everyone know who you are and what you're all about, that would be awesome. Um, okay. So I'm Cayman Ferguson. Um, who am I? Well, I think it's kind of hard to define because I don't I've been home with my kids for, oh geez, like almost seven years. Um, So I don't like to use the title as like stay at home mom, because I think it's kind of minimizing as to like who I am and what I do and who I am outside of motherhood. Um, But I guess most recently I co-authored a book and I, um, what am I all about? I have recovered from an eating disorder. So I'm very into, um, kind of spreading awareness and like self-acceptance and just navigating my way through recovery and what that looks like. And kind of just like bringing awareness to mental illness in general, it's like touched my life in many different ways, um, whether it's been my own journey or um, journey of people around me and in my family. Um, And social media has just been a great outlet for me to kind of do that. And that kind of is where I found you. Um, So yeah, all in all, roundabout answer is that I'm a mom who really craves connection and really likes to um, kind of open the conversation for things that people don't necessarily love to talk about. So, yeah. Yeah, and I love all of your posts and just the fact that you are creating awareness around mental health and mental illness and eating disorder recovery and stuff. And that is some of what we want to talk about today. I know most of my listeners here or our listeners today, they really do love a great episode about someone's healing journey through eating disorders. And you have a lot to share about that. So if you want to open up and share about your eating disorder journey, that would be so wonderful. I know this is actually like how we kind of have a connection and yeah, I just, I love our friendship and how that all came to be, but yeah. So I would love to know more about way Um, back when that started for you. Well, I'd say, um, like as early as I can remember, I was uncomfortable in my body. Um, I, it's funny at the time, I always felt like I was the bigger kid. Um, and I think partly because I kind of got like siblings, family, it was always like, Oh, the ch- like she's chubby. And then now looking back at pictures, it's so funny because I really wasn't, I was normal. I was a normal growing child. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, as long as I can remember, I didn't feel comfortable. And I think a lot of my insecurities also had to do with, you know, just kind of the childhood I had. There was a lot of trauma um, and a lot of instability. And I guess after a lot of chaotic years in and out of um, 
foster care. I had some pretty crazy things happen. Um, I found myself at a place when I was 14 um, and someone around me was dieting. And so it seemed very accessible and easy for me to join in with them and take part. Um, And once I did, I guess I just kind of got obsessed with it. And it's funny because all along, I always thought I was making a decision for my health. I thought, of course, I wanted to lose weight, but I thought I was being healthy and the adults around me didn't practice self-care. They weren't healthy. So me making these choices, I thought I was almost like going against the grain and I was being healthy and I was pursuing this life that people around me didn't. Um, So I started to lose weight pretty quickly. Um, and I guess within a matter of a year, I was very sick. I was underweight. Um, I'd lost a period. I, you know, I was just not doing well, but at the time and being so young, only 14. Um, and I know like when you've talked about your recovery, your parents were very involved and, you know, they probably were like there to point things out to you. So looking at my situation, I didn't have that. So I didn't really have any source of family, you know, kind of question what I was doing or try and point out like, Hey, we're worried. Um, instead it was at school. There was a lot of rumors that I had an eating disorder. And for me at the time, I didn't really know much about eating disorders. I knew like the stereotypical, like anorexic girl that's emaciated and you know um but in my mind I was trying to be healthy um I wasn't anorexic so I totally shut that down and I found it offensive (laughs) um and then it wasn't until um I had my first binge eating episode which was totally unfamiliar to me because up to that point I'd been so in control and I think control was a big thing I was craving um, due to the lack of control I had throughout my life at that point. Um, And so when I binged, it felt so uncomfortable. Like I, whenever I really, really empathize with people that have experienced binging because you don't know the level of discomfort and shame you feel until you go through that as someone with an eating disorder or disordered eating, whatever it may be. Um, so yes, what happened and it was, you know, I kind of brushed it off. It's like, oh, okay, this happened once, whatever. And then it started happening more and more. And then as it happened more and more, I realized maybe there is something going on here. So of course, I think this was at a time when like, you know, everyone had internet. So I did my own research and sure enough, when I looked it up and I didn't even know, I didn't even know it was called binge eating. I think I just like went on Google and was like, why am I eating? And I can't stop eating. Um, and sure enough, binge eating came up and eating disorders. And then my brain was kind of like, wait a second, everyone at school said I had an eating disorder and now I'm doing this. And this is an eating disorder behavior. Like maybe I have an eating disorder. Um, So yeah, so I went into, and I've always, backtrack, I've always been someone that is very good at taking control of my surroundings and my health and my priorities myself because I've had to. Um, So I knew if I have this problem, I have to do something about it. So I went into school and just told the school counselor that was like the only person closest to me I knew I could kind of get assistance from. And so she rooted me to um, an outpatient program. And from there, I guess my healing journey began and I was 15. So I'm 31 this year. So 16 years. And I'd say, you know, I'd say it's still a journey. It's not. That's one thing I, I was naive to in the beginning. I thought it was a destination I'd get. and It would just be over. But I think anyone that's went through it knows that it's, you know, it's just this journey we're going to forever be on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I did write, first of all, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I think it's just so important to hear different stories from our guests that joined me on the show, because like you said, you know, I was growing up, I was the only child, two parents married, and 
in a really close family, mm-hmm. you know, and had these parents that were like all over it, you know, it's yeah. just like getting me into the best, um, outpatient, inpatient, mm-hmm. like driving me everywhere multiple times a week. And yeah. I absolutely am like the minority, not most people totally. do not have that type of support. So it's really important to hear, you know, how you kind of navigated that time in your life. Um, I do want to go back though, because something that you said about growing up and having, um, was it relatives making comments about you being chubby or just like, you know, people around you making those comments? Um, so I have one, um, like full brother, we share a pair, like a mom and a dad, and then I have step siblings. So my brother and I have a very close bond because we're the only people that, you know, are from the same parents. And, um, my brother and I growing up had a very, I guess, challenging, we were very, very close, but we had a challenging relationship because of kind of the home life we had. Um, but my brother even said, he's like, calling you fat was the one guaranteed way that I would win an argument because he knew how much it hurt me and how self-conscious I was. So it was his go-to. So he constantly throughout my childhood, that would be what he resorted to. And he's like, it would just kind of win an argument. So that's what I used. And he was young. He didn't realize and understand the damage that he was doing. Um, and it wasn't until when I was an inpatient, when I was, I think 17 at the time and my brother was visiting me and he's two years older. And he said, he's like, you know, I just got to say, like, I feel really bad. And part of me thinks it's my fault that you have an eating disorder. And I said, well, it's not as simple as that. Like, you know, it's not as simple as you called me fat and it gave me an eating disorder. But it definitely was a fuel to the fire. And, you know, it, it kind of reassured that I wasn't okay the way I was and that changing would be more worthwhile having those comments made. Um, so, yeah, so, and, you know, we've talked about it over the years and whatever, but I think it's, it's one of those things that comments are made, whether it's by another kid that isn't fully aware of the damage that's being done, or I think just like generationally, um, our parents' generation didn't really understand that the dialogue they use with children has such an impact. Um, so yeah, so there were other adults that made the comments and, you know, I think it was just, um, I don't, I don't really know why people choose to say those things, but it definitely set me up for feeling very uncomfortable in my body from a very early age. So, yeah, I mean, there's a reason I wanted to highlight that part of what you shared because it sounded like, well, obviously that was a really big, like part of starting this all like it was a big part of your story and you kind of like started your story off of saying that you had always felt uncomfortable in your body because like partly because you were getting like called all of these things and you know people were just commenting on your body all of the time and same you know but the reason why I really wanted to highlight this was I was not being called like fat or chubby, but it was the complete opposite, right? It was yeah. like, um, I was always like being compared to things that were really, really small. Yeah. And so when my body did start to change, like, hello, we all go through puberty and we start getting boobs and carrying more fat on our bodies as we're like 12, 13, around yeah. those ages, right? Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, you know, in my mind and in my body, it was like all of these internal alarms started going off and it was like, whoa, I'm not me anymore because everyone tells me I'm this way. Right. Now I'm becoming something that they didn't perceive me as. So like, exactly. So how do I get back? And so I just wanted to highlight that because you and I were so both impacted by 
what we were called by people. And I think this is so important to talk about because it doesn't matter if you are calling someone fat or chubby or whatever awful things people said to you, or if you're being compared to like a feather, I was so often called a feather. And I know that I can't really think off the top of my head, like other good examples, but it was always just like, little Meg or like you know just constantly being told how small I was and so it doesn't matter if you're calling someone chubby or fat or overweight or commenting on how small they are like that is so impactful on someone at any age but especially when you're like a child because you start thinking well it's wrong to be this way or this is how I always should be, right? It starts to become like or this better, identity. It would be better if I was this way or be someone that is different than you. So like, if we look back at my childhood, there was a lot of instability in the book. I go over kind of some of the traumas that happened in the home, um, what it was like growing up with parents with addictions. And um, when I look back to that, I think part of what I craved was to be in a different situation. So I would look at my friends that were in smaller bodies and I didn't crave their smaller body. I craved their family life. I craved what I wasn't getting at home, but my mind instantly associated it with their body. So it was that I, I wanted to change my situation. Um, I didn't, it wasn't necessarily about my body, but I felt it was because I'd been told that my body wasn't presenting in the right way my body wasn't how it should be my body wasn't the desired body um but my life wasn't either and then these people that had at least my close friends that had you know this more normalized balanced home life also had these more normalized bodies which is also very interesting because there's been a lot of you know kids in poverty often um have a bit bigger bodies because nutrition wise they don't have access and like they don't have access to sports and recreation the same as many kids do um so I think that was kind of my case is looking at these people with more of a healthy home life um they had these smaller bodies so it just seemed like they had everything I didn't have so let me try and get something that they have Right. And it's not even like you consciously think these things, right? Oh, this person has a more socially accepted body. So I'm going to try and achieve that. But it's how we take things in, perceive things. And that's honestly how our minds work, right? Like you're just trying to survive. And so you look around and see other people and like see, kind of take it in how it looks like they're surviving And you try Mm. to match that with, you know, it's not this conscious thing. So no, thank you so much for sharing that. But now as a mom, you have a daughter. She's like, what, six? Turning seven? Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, it, holy, (laughs) it's a trip. And I always try and be conscious too, because I have a son, he's four. And I always try and be conscious of the fact that eating disorders and disordered eating affect both boys and girls but of course I have like a heightened awareness with my daughter because I'm a female and I think it's you know a bit more common and more prevalent um in females so I think with my daughter it's something I'm always trying to learn how to better parent around food and body image. Um, And it's a hard thing because society for so long and diet culture for so long has just infiltrated our brains and it's totally normal. And I'd say a vast majority of parents um, approach mealtime with, you're going to eat this. If you eat all this, you can have a treat. These foods are healthy. These foods are not, this is good. This is bad. And really trying. And I think I have a couple other friends, um, that are moms and they have a history of eating disorders or disordered eating. So I have a few people that I can kind of toss these like challenges that I face, um, up against because it's a hard thing. Lots of parents don't understand when I say like, Oh, we're trying to do it this way. Or, 
yeah, it's very hard. You get met with a lot of strange looks when, you know, you kind of try and approach food a certain way because other people that haven't had a history like this really don't see what you're doing as they see it almost as like promoting unhealthy behaviors. Um, so it's, it's challenging, but I, I'd say I just handle it the best I can. And another great thing with social media is there's so many, um, like anti-diet and Mm. body positive and like, um, food relationship focused nutritionists for children on there that, give good ideas on how you can approach meal times, how you can approach dialogue around food. And yeah, it's just, um, it's a, it's a great learning experience, but ultimately I think with everything I go through, I always like to look at the perspective it gives me because had I not had an eating disorder, I would just be raising a daughter. You know, I likely would be filling her head like whether I meant to or not subconsciously filling her head with, um, diet culture beliefs. And I'm just so glad that I can show her a different way and teach her to love herself and hopefully steer her in a direction that, um, only has only is like filled with self-love and self-acceptance. And if she encounters these things, well, at least I have a have knowledge on how to go about dealing with it right yeah it's a whole other level of awareness that you wouldn't have had otherwise I'm curious because it sounds like both you and I like a big part of our eating disorders was like rooted in feeling uncomfortable in our bodies and that started at such a young age and so is there something specific or maybe something that you found really helpful with your daughter in terms of like body image stuff? Um, well, I'd say like she, so she's almost seven and never to this day has she expressed anything about her body, about the size. Um, and I think because I have, and I mean, throughout my parenting journey, I definitely have been at different points, um, with my eating disorder where I felt I've had more control with it and other times where I felt more things creeping back in. But one thing I have always been conscious of is I, it's not something I ever speak of openly with her around. My husband and I have a very open dialogue about it. Um, and we'll talk after the kids go to bed, but I've never made any comments on my body changing um, or desiring my body to change or, you know, eating a certain way to achieve X, Y, Z. Um, and I really just try and have the narrative I use to be about being my best self. So when I choose to exercise, it's because I really enjoy feeling strong and, you know, it helps my muscles be strong. And when mommy's muscles feel strong, it makes mommy's brain feel strong. Um, and just the way I eat, I choose to eat certain things because they, you know, they make mommy feel better, but sometimes like I really enjoy having a glass of wine and, you know, that, that mummy enjoys it. I do it because I like it, but it does, it's not, you know, it's not something I do for, you know, so they know that there's the balance that there's things, um, you do for pleasure and there's things that you do because they're more useful for your body. Um, but I'd say, uh, she, yeah, she hasn't really been met with any of that yet. The only dialogue I find that I still get for myself and back to when you were, we were talking about comments coming at people. Um, I'm a very small person, naturally. Like I'm five, I'm just five one. Yeah, you're um, even I'm, shorter than me. <laughs> and I know that my um I know that my body is small because of my eating disorder. I definitely have some body dysmorphia where I logically I know my body's small. Sometimes I don't always see it that way, but I know it is. Um, but being a small person, um, I often receive comments about the fact that I look like a kid and I, I'm a parent, or sometimes I feel like I'm almost being judged because so many parents today are choosing to have kids at a bit of a later age in their like well into their 30s I had my daughter at 24 so that's somewhat young um 
coupled with the fact that I'm small, I feel that sometimes people almost look at me like I'm this little girl. <laughs> Not that I am like, you know, um, I'm, it's like, I, they don't think I'm mature enough because of my size, because of my stature. Um, so I almost feel sometimes a judgment towards me. Um, and I noticed with my daughter, she is my child. She is also quite small for her age. So I've noticed people make comments about how small she is. She hasn't seemed to pick up on it, whether it's good or bad or whatever. Um, but she, it definitely is something that I try and be conscious of. And I try and if someone makes the comment, I'm like, Oh, like maybe you'll grow up and you'll just be, you'll be a person like mommy where like we're, we're shorter and we, you know, so I try and reframe it from away from the association of small because small, I think so many of us desire to be small. Like it's this like amazing thing. But I think if we like add other labels to it, it can help kind of just be more factual rather than this like dreamy state you know yeah, I know like you kind of change it over to oh yeah like I'm yeah. not tall you know and start talking and about that, it height wise rather than perhaps rather than, like the size of a body right yeah yes yeah so it's it's yeah it's just a process and I think I think we handle it well, but it, nothing like makes me happier than when, so my daughter with car seats, you have to be, I think it's 40 pounds to sit in a booster seat. And my daughter was so upset in kindergarten because so many of her friends were in booster seats. And she was like, when can I be in a booster? And I was like, you gotta be, yeah, you just gotta be a little bit bigger. Like you got, you know, you have to be just to keep you safe. And I was trying to, it's always hard because you want to say the right thing and you're kind of trying not to cross those lines right. into, you want to or you want to be that. Um, but when she hit 40 pounds, like how excited she was. And I'm like, this is amazing that she is celebrating. She's celebrating her body growing. And I just, I hope that it, it comes to a point in her life. I don't ever want that to change. I want, you know, I want her to be happy when she gets stronger, when she feels whether that changes her size or not. I always want growth to be celebrated and shrinking to not be what she chases so oh, I love that so much I love 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 that and okay you said you know that whole booster seat conversation it was kind of like navigating like okay you know yeah. there's like such a fine line and something you said before also brought up that fine line of um back when you were like 14 or when you were a teenager in school and there were people around you dieting and at that time you thought you were just choosing healthy choices right totally. and I couldn't help but think and make a note about this because that is also such a fine line right there's yeah, choosing more, you know, nutrient dense options and just like keeping our health in mind. For an example, something that I tend to do is like build a meal or a snack that's going to support blood sugar balance, right? Yeah. So I'm getting like good energy throughout the day. And I would say that this is like this healthy practice, but then it's like there's such a fine line from doing these healthy practices out of like self-love and just pure care for ourselves. And then it like can go into disordered eating or eating disorder territory. So if you want to talk a little bit about that with me as well, I think that would be a great topic. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's and I still, I think this is this fine line, this little dance that we do. I think that's still where I find myself at sometimes is, you know, you see on social media, you, I'm a very, I really like wellness. I've had my journey with my physical health and it's led me to choose to do a lot of things holistically to kind of manage some of the things that I've experienced. Um, but then there's that fine line of, am I, am I doing this because I, and of course I enjoy, I love the way I eat. I love food. I love the simplicity of like whole foods and how amazing they are, um, how they make me feel. But then sometimes I do catch where I'm crossing that line and the rules are coming in and I hear the inner dialogue with the rules. Um, 
And I think, I think it's just a really tricky situation um, that requires a lot of self-awareness because yeah, like it, anyone anyone can make choices that are healthy, but when does it when does it come to that point that the healthy choice is actually more unhealthy mentally for you? You know, there's there's the difference between something being good for your body and your mind and something only serving one purpose. And I think anyone that's dealt with like the obsessive and compulsive nature of disordered eating and eating disorders, um, it might be hard to distinguish, but if you sit with it, you're going to be able to see, you know, is this really, what is this motivated by? Is this motivated by my desire to be healthy or is this, is there a different, you know, a different motive driving this? Um, but it's a, it's a very challenging thing. And I think it's something that a lot of people, especially people that may not necessarily fall full on into the eating disorder category, but there's a lot of people practicing things and they might have a very hard time seeing that it's disordered because society kind of allows and like promotes so many things that are not necessarily healthy. And if you're spending more time and more mental energy on something like a meal or an, or exercise, um, chances are it's, you're probably dipping your toe onto the wrong side of the line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So for you in talking about, okay, where's that fine line? Would you say yours is like, or kind of like a little red flag that goes off for you would be if you start spending a lot of mental energy on something, that would be like a red flag for you of like, uh, I'm kind of like crossing this line. Yeah, totally. Okay. Is the, the mental energy or um, the amount of time I kind of l- let my brain, yeah, like I guess the mental energy, but s- things like for, I'll use an example. I think it was last summer, maybe the summer before my husband, we eat very differently. He, um, really likes more like heavy foods. He loves his burger and fries. He likes to snack on chips. I like to eat very, um, colorful dishes filled with fruits and vegetables. And anyway, so jokingly one time he said, why don't I eat like you for a day and you eat like me for a day? I remember this. Yes. yes. Do you? Okay. Yes, I remember this. Yes. Posted it on Instagram. We shared the whole day. We made each other's meals. It was hilarious. But initially, when he came to me with that idea, that old part of my brain instantly was like, no, this is, we're not doing this. But then I really sat with it and I was like, why? Like, why can't I do that? it's one day, it's not going to do anything to me. Changing your eating habits for a day doesn't do anything. Um, it's going to obviously be a little weird because I am a person that likes to be in control. <laughs> um, so having someone fully choose for me and make my meals and serve them to me, that's going to be weird. But ultimately I was like, this is going to be good for my, this is going to be good for my eating disorder brain. Like this is going to be good for that part because it's going to challenge it. Um, and I think it also just highlighted the parts of me that were still holding on to certain things because, you know, it's, yeah, that mental energy and the mental, I guess, almost the anxiety that it provoked in me. And when I was at a place that I considered myself to be good, but then having this idea thrown at me. So then I just committed, I was like, I'm doing this. And it was fun. And I think that's kind of what I still try and bring myself back to today is pleasure. Like food is supposed to be about pleasure as much as it's supposed to be useful in helping our bodies function. Um, and if I'm at a place where I am thinking about the rules I have with food, um, more than I'm also thinking about the satisfaction I'm going to get, um, then I'm definitely crossing that line. So Yeah. No, I, so two things about that. First of all, you said a couple times throughout this episode so far that, you know, control has been a thing for you and you do like being in control. And that was like one of the factors about your husband suggesting that it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I like to be in control, but if you look at it in the sense that like, you know, 
if you give your husband control in that situation, which you did, that is actually showing the eating disorder brain or the disorder brain that you're in control and that eating disorder isn't in control, right? And so that's such a, I think that's a really important way to think about it. And just speaking of our red flags and like where that line, you know, of healthy and then disorder is, I thought it might be helpful to share one of my kind of like red flags of how do we know when we're crossing that line? And it kind of, you kind of touched on this actually, but like you didn't say it, but it, it has to do with your example with your husband suggesting hey, like, why don't I eat like you and you eat like me? And that's like that red line or that red flag or like that line that I would say would be something to consider is like, if you cannot do something else, you know, whether that's um, like, I just went on a trip, right? And in the past, I had to seek out a gym, go to the gym, not sway from my routine, right? And that was something I had to do. And it was not even an option for me not to do that, right? Yes. And that's like that line, one of the lines, right? But what I'm saying is like that fine line between is this healthy or disordered? It's like being able to do the thing, right? And so if you were like to your husband, no way am I doing that. That's a really good red flag being like, hey, maybe what you're doing is kind of disordered since you're not able to just like eat whatever for a day, right? But since you were like, no, I'm going to do this. That's a really good sign that like, okay, you're push, you're not letting that line, you know, you're not crossing that um, line I, into like the disordered territory. And I think in the past, I think I've like texted you about it before um, that, you know, I feel like in the eating disorder community and on social media, sometimes we have these people that we attach, like I'm sure a lot of people look to you and you are in, in their minds, you're someone that's recovered from an eating disorder. Um, so I think it's really useful that we're open with saying like, Hey, I'm, I consider myself recovered, but look, I still have these mental dialogues within myself when things come up and I think about them and I have to, sometimes I have to like reevaluate certain things. Um, because I think for a long time, I felt like I wasn't doing recovery good enough. I felt like there were these people and it seemed from what I was seeing that they never had these thoughts anymore. They were going about their life. They were going on vacation. They weren't working out. They were eating this, this, and this, and there was no mental repercussions. They were just like, happy as a clam. But then the more I feel like we're open and we say like, listen, like, I, I consider myself recovered. I am doing this and this and this, but I'm still kind of thinking about this or, you know, I found that this was coming up for me, but I think it's, it's the choosing and the recognizing, like maybe the thoughts I was having when my husband tossed up this idea, those came from that eating disorder part of my brain, but the recovered part of my brain was the one that was like, wait a second we're not going to do this. And it little things like I love nut butter. Everyone, I have like every kind of nut butter in my cupboard. Um, peanut butter is my favorite. So some mornings I'll have peanut butter later in the day. I'll be like, Ooh, I could have some more peanut butter. And there's that food rule in my brain. That's like, you had peanut butter today. Why don't you get, take a different nut for like the nutritional variants you're going to get. But then I'm like, I have to bring it back and be like, I just want some peanut butter. Like I can just, I can, there's no rules that I have to follow. So having the thought doesn't mean I'm not recovered. Go thought is what means that I'm recovered. Yes. So exactly. So important. And that is honestly why every single time I start working with a new client, we always start on that self-awareness piece, right? Because that is what we need in order to just like heal from anything, not even just an eating disorder. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. Anything. And yeah, especially like for anyone 
that has children that's going through it, it just, you know, especially then self-awareness, like within yourself, within your dialogue. Um, yeah, it's, it's been the most useful tool I'd say I can go back to. Amazing. Okay. So I can keep talking to you and talking to you, but I really, really want to talk about your book. So you are a co-author of a book. You wrote a chapter, a whole chapter in a book and I'm so excited to read it myself. I haven't had the chance yet, but I will be, and I'll be sharing it with everyone. But can you share with us what, like how this came to be, what the book's about and what your chapter is about specifically? Totally. Um, Okay. So the book, uh, it's, it's an amazing series. There's a Canadian publishing house called Great Canadian Woman. Um, so it actually, it's created by women. It's all women authors. Um, there's a, in this book series, there's been a few books already. So one of the books, for example, was She Grieves. So it was multiple women that share stories of grief and loss and with all different things, not necessarily like the exact same area. Um, and a good friend of mine, she was a co-author on that book. So she reached out to me when she decided to be a lead author um, for this book that I am on called She is Full of Fire. Um, When she signed up to be lead author, she's like, I just knew like I had to reach out to you. Like I really needed you on this book with me. Um, So she reached out. uh, It was late last summer. And at the time, like my daughter was starting her first year of school and I was like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. It, you know, it's a lot of vulnerability, which I love, but this was in a much larger scale and a much bigger commitment. Um, but then ultimately I just decided, um, you know, my story is one that I have always felt needs to be shared. Um, and I think community and connection is like the most powerful tool in healing. Um, we come the furthest when we see other people that are like ourselves that have done it. Um, So I felt really called to do it. And yeah, it's a book. There's 10 authors in total. Um, Everyone wrote about their own experience of kind of choosing to almost take the hard route, choosing to make the harder decision to walk through fire um, boldly and bravely and find their way on the other side of whatever it is. Um, so it's it's just amazing because there are women that wrote about relationships ending and then there's women that wrote about, um, you know, kind of growing up and like unsteady times in their lives and, you know, just encountering so many different things that so many of us have faced um, in our own words. So it's just, I feel like it's a book that, speaks to everyone in one way or another, um, has something to offer. And our youngest author on it was actually just a teenager. Her and her mom, her and her mom both, uh, were authors of each of their own chapters within the book. Wow, so that I have shivers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so inspiring and amazing. Um, and yeah, anytime I can take part in something that just, brings women together. I just feel like healing my own journey of healing, um, and coming into myself, um, and finding my purpose and passion is like just connecting with women and how amazing women are and how strong we are and how, um, this world is, I mean, it's changing, but it's so designed against us, but yet we just kind of come out and we're just like badass powerhouses so um, yeah so it was a really amazing experience um my chapter is called a birth of a phoenix um I just felt like a phoenix has always resonated with me in that you know it just kind of rose from the ashes it's this beautiful thing that emerged despite all of this chaos um Yeah. So it, it was very hard because a chapter at first seemed, you know, daunting, but then as I got writing, it's like, how, how do I fit? How do I fit so much importance into one chapter? Um, so it was tricky to kind of figure out how I wanted to format it and lay it out. Um, so I almost did 
kind of like little chapters within my chapter to kind of break it down um, and all tying together with one commonality, um, like which is like resilience and strength that kind of got me through everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's just an amazing read. The whole book, it's great. And oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited. I can't, and, and like I said to you before the show, it was kind of, um, you know, the writing process, it's so in-depth and you're so consumed by it and you're doing so much and then it kind of goes to editing and all this stuff and it just kind of disappears for a little bit. It's like your part is done and now it's on the publishing house. So there is, you know, the last few months have been kind of like, oh, right, like that happened and now it's in our hands and it's just like, this thing you know it's yeah it's really really amazing so oh my goodness well I am so excited for this episode to come out so everyone else can get their hands on a copy and we will provide that in the show notes and just a reminder to everyone you know Cayman's Canadian and so just to support other Canadian women authors I think that's so important so I hope everyone just grabs a copy yeah yeah I would love and honestly like any anybody will find something within within the pages so awesome I love how it's like all different stories and you know of different things but within the same theme I think that's just brilliant so (laughs) I cannot wait to read it and where can people find you if we want to connect with you on Instagram I mean I always follow you on Instagram but (laughs) Yeah, just I'd say my Instagram is is the best place to follow me. That seems to be where I'm most active. Um, I just like to and you know, I, I when I really started using Instagram as a tool, I had a hard time because I, I couldn't make my page about one thing I couldn't be the eating disorder recovery page. And I couldn't be just the motherhood page. And I couldn't be just the healing my inner child. (laughs) You know, I'm there's so So I'd say I just am kind of an open book on there and I just share whatever I feel, whatever I'm feeling. Um, And it's just been amazing because I usually have quite a few people that have found connection in my words. So uh, Cayman Ferg on Instagram. And yeah, I I would love to connect with more people. So well, we will link you up in the show notes. And thank you so much again, sweetheart, for joining us today. Yeah, it was it was my pleasure. It was great. 